you remember that saying? I think it was an advertisement some years ago. A mind is a terrible thing to waste. You've, you've heard that, yes? I've, I've come to the conclusion that, that some might have less to waste than others. <laughs> True story. According to the Pocono record in Stroudsburg, Stroudsburg, PA, a man named Chase Fitzgerald, 24 years old, was perplexed when he went out to the car and found that his key wouldn't open the door, which he had parked in a bank lot. He struggled with it a bit and uh, just couldn't understand why he couldn't get in. So, ask yourself at this point, I'm in his shoes, what do I do? Bingo! Well, Mr. Fitzgerald, being the genius that he is, found a concrete block and smashed the window. And then he realized that it wasn't his car. (laughs) Police cited him for criminal mischief after assessing the damages at over $2,500. A mind is a terrible thing to waste, my friends. So what are you doing these days to keep your mind clear and sharp and thinking? One of the things that I have heard over the years is that uh, those of us who are getting older should be uh, working at, at memorizing. Memorization is supposedly good for the gray matter. Yes. I've heard that somewhere or I read that. I can't remember where it was exactly, but... But I've heard that it's out there. Timothy Larson is the chair of Christian thought at Wheaton College. And he does some reflecting on the challenge of scripture memorization in the culture in which we live today. He says this. A few particularly rewarding, compact and potent biblical texts are worthy of not only deep reading, but even, he says, memorization. This is the most counterintuitive of practices for my students. Why memorize a text that you can access electronically any time you wish? This attitude, he says, indicates a failure to grasp the way in which a text can permanently inhabit one's inner life. He says, to ask yourself, If you were stranded somewhere for an indefinite period of time, what resources would you have by heart to sustain you? That's a good question. Who are you without Google? Who am I without the Internet? So we continue this morning in our summer study of Psalms, the worship book of Israel. And the Psalms, as we have said, were spoken and sung and worshipped by the people when they gathered together. And quite likely, much of it was done from memorization because it was in a day and an age when a lot of folks didn't read, didn't write. But some did. And one of them, we don't know who, composed Psalm 119. 
It's our psalm for this morning. It's a remarkable piece of work. One commentator states that this psalm is, in fact, a massive intellectual achievement. It's an astonishingly crafted poem, says one commentator. And that's what Psalm 119 is. How many of you have read through Psalm 119 before? Yeah, longest psalm, all kinds of stuff there. It is a huge poem and is referred to by one commentator as the Mount Everest of the uh, book of Psalms. It's a marvelous example of what is a category of psalms known as wisdom psalms, wisdom for daily living. If you've read through it, you know that that there's an order to it. It is divided into 22 stanzas, one stanza for each letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And each of those stanzas is eight lines in length. It is an alphabet acrostic. In the first stanza, every line starts with the first letter in the alphabet. In the second stanza, every line starts with the second letter of the alphabet and so on through all 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. It's a total of 176 lines. In English, we refer to them as verses. You find yourself thinking, wow, who has that kind of time? You'll be happy to know that we're not going to look closely at all 176 verses this morning. I know that's a source of relief. There was a little fear there. I thought about doing that for about seven seconds, maybe a little less, and then decided that that probably was not what we would do this morning. But I do want us to look for a bit at the first stanza of this amazing psalm. And we're going to do it this morning in a way that I think is a bit different and uh, certainly different than what we normally do and uh, sort of interact with it some. I think it I hope it will be it will be fun for us. If you have read Psalm 119 before, you're probably familiar with the theme. So without looking at anything, Lee, put your palm pile a little way. Let me read for you the first four verses and listen, listen to the theme. That's what the early Israelites did. They listened. The projector was broken. They had no access to the Internet. They listened. Listen carefully for the theme. Here we go. Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law. Of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong, they walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed, O Lord. Did you hear it? Did you hear the theme? What do you think? What's the thing? Obedience. Yeah. Following God's law, God's statutes, God's ways, God's precepts. Those are the words that he uses there in those verses. And he also goes on to use words, ordinances, commands, decrees, multiple descriptions of the same thing. The writer of Psalm 119 was incredibly concerned about the recorded revelation of God. What God has revealed about himself and about life and about humanity so that people don't have to guess about who God is and how we ought to live in light of who he is. In our language, we often talk about God's word. 
The psalmist is very concerned, to say the least, that people pay attention to what God has said. And if you missed it in those first four verses, no worries. You just keep reading. It's in the 172 remaining verses of the psalm. Every single line of the psalm has a reference to God's word, to God's statutes, to his precepts, his laws, his ordinances, his ways. How does that strike you? Find yourself thinking, whoa. Are you tempted at all to think, oh, that's pretty tedious. One commentator I read called it monotonous. Tempted to, uh, to read for a dozen or so verses and come away with the conclusion, okay, okay, I've got it. I hear you. God's word is important. I'm getting that message. How important is God's word? How important is God's word in my life? I love what Martin Luther said about the importance of God's word. He said, I have made a covenant with God that he sends me neither visions, dreams, nor even angels. He said, I am well satisfied with the gift of the Holy Scriptures, which give me abundant instruction and all that I need to know for this life and that which is to come. How important is God's word? So what I would like for us to do this morning is stand together and read another text. Not Psalm 119. We'll come back to that in just a moment. Go ahead and stand. It's from Romans chapter 15. Paul has been exhorting the believers in Rome that they put aside differences. There were some things that were going on. There, were, there was question about things that Christians should eat. Christians should drink certain things or not drink certain things. And, and Paul reminds them that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. He said it's a matter of righteousness and a matter of joy and obedience. And then he says this. Let's read together. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We should all please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. My brothers and my sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Were you listening to what you just read? What does the apostle say? is the reason or the purpose for everything that was written in the past. Did you hear it? To teach us. To teach us. Everything that was written in the past, he was referring to the Old Testament Scriptures. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us 
so that we, through endurance and encouragement, can have hope. That includes Psalm 119. All 176 verses with all 176 exhortations and reminders about the importance of God's Word. Emphasis over and over and over again upon the sure and unchanging nature of God's character and His Word reminds us in every single verse written to teach us, it reminds us in every single verse what is really important in life. Relationship with God and living according to His Word so that we might have hope. So I ask you again, how important is God's Word to you? How important, really, is God's Word to you? How many times over the years have you heard me say that life is not about us? Life is not about me. Life is not even about you. Life is not about us. Life is about God. And the purpose, the purpose of our lives is to live in proper relationship with God. The purpose of our lives is to know God and to live in a relationship of love and intimacy with God. That is what we were created for. I believe that that hope that Paul refers to, the Scripture being written so that we might have hope, the hope that it refers to is is something that resides, or at least the, the desire, the need for hope, resides in the heart of every human being on this earth. I think it has to do with security and, and, and love, even in the most dire of circumstances, there is that need for hope. Sometimes the worst of circumstances, the, the greater, and until, perish the thought, hope is extinguished. Hope exists because the things that are hoped for do not exist with any certainty apart from God. Think about it. When people reach a point where they have no hope, and they express that they have no hope, and they express an interest in, in giving up on life because they have no hope, we get really concerned, do we not? It is, it is hope that, that, in a sense, kind of drives the heart. It is hope that keeps people going. Paul says that the Scriptures were written so that we might have hope. They teach us. About God, they teach us about our relationship with Him so that we can have hope. The psalmist knows what it is that, that people need to remember. Certain hope is found, found only in living correctly in the relationship for which we were created. We were made by God, and we were made for God, not the other way around. God does not exist for us. We exist for Him. And in living into that relationship and keeping the order straight, we find ourselves 
satisfied. God must be the daily focus of our lives. Far too often, we make our plans and we live the way that we choose to live and we want God to bless our plans. How out of whack is that? But we live that way often. Oswald Chambers says it like this. He says, your priorities must be God first, God second, and God third. Until your life is continually face to face with God and no one else is taken into account whatsoever. Your priorities must be God first, God second, and God third. The writer of Psalm 119 would agree wholeheartedly. I don't think he had met Oswald, but, but they, uh, they think alike. So here's what I want us to do this morning. I, I want us to hear the word of the Lord, and then I want us to speak the word of the Lord to one another. I think this may be one of the ways that, that the Psalms were used in worship uh, in early Israel. So, Congregation 1, you're over here, okay? Congregation 2, you're over here. What I would like to do is I'd like to say a line. Congregation 1, you'll repeat that line. And then I'm going to say a second line. And Congregation 2, you're going to repeat that line. Now, you're not reading this, okay? You're hearing this. And you're repeating this. There is power in hearing and speaking the Word of God. So I'm asking you to listen and then to declare it. These are declarations of truth from the psalmist. So I'm asking you to declare these truths to one another. So you're going to need to stand. And I'm going to ask you to to do something really painful. Turn and look at people. Oh, that's scary, isn't it? Got to look at folks. Okay. Okay, here we go. I'll lead off. Congregation one, you repeat my first line, and then I'll speak to congregation two, and you listen and declare that second line. Okay, ready? Here we go. Congregation one. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless. That wasn't bad. Let's do that again. Amp it up just a little bit, okay? Here we go. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless. Congregation number two, who walk according to the law of the Lord. That wasn't very good, congregation two. It was a little wimpy, okay? Want to be number one, I know, I know. All right. All right, here we go. Let's do that whole thing again. You got the idea, all right? Remember, declarations of truth. Congregation number one. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless. Who walk according to the law of the Lord. Okay. Blessed are they who keep his statutes. Blessed are they who keep his statutes. And seek him with all their heart. And seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. That are to be fully obeyed. Now, tell one another, this is the word of the Lord. 
All right. Good job. You can be seated. Blessed. Blessed is the word that the psalmist starts off this monumental work with. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. It's a powerful word. It is a word that fuels the hope that we all long for in our lives. It is the same word that Jesus used in the Beatitudes. It is, it is an idea of joy. And it has to do with something that comes up from the inside, regardless of what's going on on the outside. It is a condition that happens within, regardless of the circumstances around us. And the psalmist says, That those who live life according to the laws of God will find themselves with a sense of delight and joy that touches their soul and puts it at rest. It is well with my soul, we sing, because I have money in the bank. It is well with my soul because I have a nice home. It is well with my soul because I have a wonderful family. It is well with my soul because I have achieved in business and I have climbed the corporate ladder and I have arrived. It is well with my soul because my golf game is better than it's ever been. Stupid, right? And we know that that's not the truth. but, But bottom line is, my brothers and my sisters, sometimes... We live according to the wellness of the world versus the wellness of the soul that is blessed and in God. The psalmist also says, you said, you heard and you declared that those who live according to God's law are blameless. He says that they they do nothing wrong. Now, does that really mean that they do nothing wrong? Never a mistake? I think it's a matter of perspective. Okay? In the eyes of some, those who live according to God's law will do plenty that is wrong. And in fact, most of what they do will be wrong. Most of what they think will be wrong because they will be living in a way that makes very little sense to the sensate culture in which we live. We've said, life is not about me. Well, you know, you start living like that and pretty soon folks think you are a bit strange. Life is about God. And so suddenly I I find myself moving in this path where I want God to be exalted in everything that I do. In the ways that I think, the ways that I act. And so from the perspective of the prevailing culture in which we live, do those who live according to God's law do things wrong? Yeah. Every moment of every day. They will be living in a way that God is the focus of their life. Versus the standards, the opinions of what culture and their peers say is important. 
They will live as if God really does exist. Those whose ways are blameless, they are living from God's perspective as if He really is important. I saw a bumper sticker just yesterday that said, if you are living as if God does not exist, you better pray that you are right. (laughs) That's the theme of Psalm 119. In the eyes of the one whose opinion matters, those who are blameless, those who live according to God's law, they are the ones who do no wrong. In fact, they are doing it exactly right because they are seeking God. They are seeking after him with all of their heart. Remember, God wants and How many times have we said this? God wants every inch of real estate in your heart. There is no little corner that is reserved for my tent. He wants it all. Every piece of our heart. The psalmist also says of God, you have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. That's a bit troubling. Fully means fully. Not partially, not sometimes. Now remember, the theme here is is a life that exalts God. A life that is lived in proper relationship with God. You know, God didn't give the 80% rule when he gave the commandments. He expected that all of them would be kept by the Israelites. You know, when Jesus opened up that text, the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount, you know, they weren't suggestions for his followers that they might live that way some of the time in order to find blessing. God has given us precepts according to the psalmist that are to be fully obeyed. And here's the deal. From the Garden of Eden to this very moment, the enemy of God has been at work trying to convince humanity that it is not true. And let's be honest, sometimes, sometimes we listen to him. Okay, you don't, I do. We have allowed his logic to affect our thinking and our actions. We have those moments When we believe and we live out the lies with statements that explain and justify our actions, that justify our disobedience, if I can be so bold as to say it that way. Like, God understands. He knows I'm human. That's a lie. I can't help it. That's just the way I'm made. That's a lie, too. If God wanted me to be like that, he would have made me that way. That's another lie. It's not a big deal. Everyone does it. That, too, is a lie. God has laid down a life that he expects us to live in wholehearted, full obedience. There is no life and there is no lasting blessing that brings joy and satisfaction to our souls apart from a complete surrender of obedience to God and his rule in our lives interesting, isn't it? We, we have those moments. You have those moments when when we just we know the joy of the Lord and I am satisfied and 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 the situation around me is just going to pot. And then just a few seconds later, I forget that life isn't about me. And once again, I begin to focus upon me and the joy and the blessing of joy in his presence just goes 
just this morning. I was thinking of, and I didn't, I didn't look it up, I didn't have time, it kind of popped into my head last minute. One of the prophets, I think it may have been Jeremiah, was speaking on God's behalf to the people of Israel, and, and he, he gave them the image of God offering them sweet, fresh water to drink. But they continually turn from what he offers them to drink and sip from broken cisterns. Cisterns that are full of sand and grime and disease and, and who knows what else. We strive, my friends, we strive after so many things in life. We give our time and our energy and our resources to acquiring them. And when we do, satisfaction is fleeting. Why is that? Because it's not what we were created to do. It's not what we were created to live for. Because we were not created to find satisfaction in anything or anyone else besides God, there will be no lasting satisfaction in anyone else or anything else besides God. Period. That's it. So, let me close with my favorite truth about Psalm 119. It's the first person pronoun. I love this. With the exception of these four verses that you read, or I should say that you declared to one another, with the exception of those first four, and then there are a few others that find their way into the psalm, predominantly every other verse speaks in the first person. This psalm is for me. When I read it, I get to read I. When you read it, you get to read I. A few years ago, Duke University did a study of 70,000 college and high school students. Huge study. They found that 70% of those students admit to cheating. This was a 14% increase over 1993 and a 44% increase over 1963. And, this is interesting, the report also indicated that Internet plagiarism has quadrupled in the past six years. We hear plagiarism and we think, that is serious. That is not a good thing. We need to be concerned about it. And we should in every area of our lives except God's Word. He's not going to sue you. He's going to bless you. You have God's permission to take His Word and to make it your own. And if you need more proof, turn to Psalm 119 and read just about every single verse of 176 of them. Talk about me, I, my relationship to my Creator. You, you do the same thing. Now, in closing, listen to the voice that changes. We didn't read verse 5. Again, just a sampling. I hope you'll go and, and spend time in Psalm 119 and think about some of these principles. Listen to what he says. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Verse 5. Oh, oh, he says, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Oh, praise team. Come on up. Prepare to lead us. Oh, oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. Friends, what, what's your heart long for? What are you striving to find joy and satisfaction in? Boy, can I just say on the testimony of the psalmist that, that blessing and joy and delight are found in giving 
diligent, careful, concentrated attention to living in relationship with God according to his rules and not your own. It's not God plus my life. It's not God plus this. It's not God and this. This it it, it is God. The source, the focus, the passion, the obsession of my life. Oh, God. Oh, that my heart were steadfast in keeping your decrees. Father, may that become more and more true of us every day. That we might be a people who are passionate to live according to your ways. Because we are passionate to know your presence and to experience the delight of your blessing. In the name of Jesus, we pray.